Welcome to the Lift Church podcast. We pray that this message encourages you and inspires you to live up to your God-given potential. Hey, I um, just during the worship and during the prayer meeting really sensed God wanting to um, do something really special this morning. So I encourage you to continue having those open hearts and open ears um, because I guarantee that God, Holy Spirit, He's going to speak to you this morning and change your life. At least that's what I'm expecting and that's why I come to church as well, to be honest. Let me just get myself set up. I know you can't really see that. But that's our wedding vows. That's mine and Nate's wedding vows. I'm like, our wedding vows? Mine and Nate's wedding vows. All right. So uh, this morning we are beginning a new series. Actually, this series will only go over this week and next week, but I guarantee you, you are going to get a lot out of it, I believe, anyway. I already have, which is wonderful. Um, but we, uh, this series is called Made for Mondays. I think we had a graphic, yeah, up there before. I really like that. That's really my look, the whole minimalistic thing. Anyway, I'm getting distracted. But we are talking about Made for Mondays and the fact that God has called each each and every one of us, not just to himself. He's called us, um, you know, if, if you're a Christian here, you would have had that moment where the Holy Spirit would have come and knocked on the door of your heart and you've opened that door to him. That's the first call. God's saying, come, be my son, be my daughter, come and be a part of my family, be a part of the kingdom of God. And so that's one of the calls that he puts out to us and that we can respond to, no matter who we are, no matter what background we've come from, that invitation is there for us. And then there's another call where God calls us to come and live with Him and to have Him as a part of our lives in order for us to be a light to our world. And so this Made for Monday series, it's all about the fact that we've got this call on our lives for evangelism. I've recently gone back to study and one of the things that um, my uh, lecturer said to us was that we are all theologians. The question is whether we are good theologians. And so that kind of freaked me out a little bit. So put that out to, to put that out to you this morning, we're all evangelists. Did you know that? We are all called to evangelism. It's my question this morning is, are we good at it? Are we any good at it? And so that's what this series is about. It's about that second call, that call to evangelism. Now, I was just talking, just mentioned how I went back to study. What I have... Uh, come to realize a, a really good principle to have when it comes to study is that my understanding of the assignment that's given to me will determine the accuracy of my outcome. What do I mean by this? I, um, it came to that time in my unit where uh, I had to write an essay. Who here loves writing essays? Okay, so we've got a few. We've got a few. That's awesome. That's good. You're a teacher. You're a teacher. So that makes sense. That's good. I, however, don't love essay writing, and it's been about almost about 10 years since I wrote my last essay, when, when I sat down to write this essay, and so I'm freaking out a little bit, and as you know, each ass assignment is, um, it's got a percentage to it, so this was worth 30, 40%, I think it was worth 40% of my mark, yeah, it's, that's a big deal, that essay's a big deal, um, and what some of you might not know is that if you go into studies as a mature age student, which I am, how funny is that? 
Can you just laugh with me about that? So I'm a mature age student. And, um, and so what I need to do in order to finish my degree, continue in it, is to actually pass the first three or four units, whatever it is. So there's a lot of pressure writing on this essay. Now with essays, they give you a question, right? It's like, you know, these are the four questions, choose one and make your essay about that. And so I chose my question. But then for the next maybe 20% of the time that I spent on the actual assignment, I spent on just evaluating this question. I was like, this question could mean this, or it could mean this. It could mean they want me to write this, or it could mean that they want me to write this. And so I knew that depending on how I interpreted, or the accuracy of which I interpreted the question, that would determine the outcome of whether I went well in that essay or whether I flunked it in it. You'll be happy to know that your pastor is a good student. I did well in my essay. I did well. I surprised myself actually. Um, and so I learned this and it was kind of funny because as I was preparing for this message, God brought back that thought of how I'd racked my brain to work out what this question was asking me, what this assignment was actually all about because I wanted to have an accurate outcome. He brought it back to my memory because I believe that us as evangelists, us as Christians and our faith, it's, it's a bit like that. Depending on how we interpret the assignment that God has given us will determine whether we accurately fulfill it, whether we actually see an accurate outcome. And it's the same with us when it comes to evangelism. Now, I had a bit of a, um, a, a rude awakening, I guess, to the profound consequences of us interpreting the assignment God's given us in the wrong way. I don't know whether you... Um, managed to catch the film for the love of god is it for the love of god by um center of public christianity it is right love of god so um we a group of us went uh when it was out probably a couple of months ago to go and watch it and basically what um the center of public christianity had done was that they um took the history of christianity the good the bad the ugly and they made it into this documentary to kind of pose the question to people of when did the church actually represent christ well and throughout this this film there were moments of yes i'm so glad i'm so thankful to be a part of this group of people who are absolute game changers who there were these christians who literally changed history um and in profound amazing kinds of ways um they christians back then were, you know, the ones at the forefront setting up schools, setting up hospitals, um, even human rights. They were at the forefront of that. They did amazing, amazing things and they stood for the freedom of people. But then on the other hand, there were these moments in the film where I was ashamed to be called a Christian. And during these moments, it was kind of funny because I was thinking in my mind, is there some way that I can maybe call myself a Christian without that kind of label because I don't want to be associated with it anymore. It's kind of thing, oh, I could, you know, I could make this kind of title or this kind of group of people, da, 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 because there were just these moments where I was like, I couldn't believe that people did what they did in the name of God. They did these exploits that would enslave people, that, you know, mass murders were all done. Um, and the trailer, even if you catch the trailer, it says because the people said God wills it. They did these horrendous things. 
these tragedies took place because of these Christians. And so I was torn. There was part of me that was like, wow, what a great, you know, heritage I come from. What a great lineage there is. But then the other part of me where I was like, I can't believe that I'm associated with these people. And now, obviously, I'm not out stealing, plundering, you know, doing all that kind of stuff. But I actually live with the effects, and so do you. You live with the consequences of what people have done before us, these Christians, how they've lived their life. We're actually profoundly affected by this. You see, there were the people who misunderstood, and that's probably an understatement, but they greatly misunderstood the assignment God had given them. Whereas they were the ones that understood and they ran with it and they lived lives that actually showed what the kingdom of God was like, actually showed the love of God in amazing, like I said, they absolutely changed the game. But for the ones who misunderstood the assignment, actually left us as a people who are misunderstood. You know, recently um, I got to go meet with some of our community members um, here in the town of Vic Park and it was wonderful, it was a time of networking and things like that and um, I met this one particular lady and um, and I tell you this story to illustrate to you the effects that um, the history of Christianity and the way that Christians have lived their lives have, has an effect on us. So this woman was completely, she completely misunderstood who we were, what we stood for. It was quite amazing. Like I walked away and I was like, what just happened? I was absolutely bewildered. It's like, that was very confusing. And so what happened was that we got into a conversation, you know, you say where you're from and stuff like that when you're networking. And, and she's like, oh, Lift Church. Um, you come from that church over east, right? It's like, no. Uh, maybe there's a lift church over east, but we're not affiliated. She's like, no, no, you are. You are. I know you are. I'm like, um, I co-founded lift church here in Victoria Park. I know where my roots are. I, I know where we've come from. No, no, you're associated with da, 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 and, you know, you're part of that. And I know them and they're, she didn't have very nice things to say about whoever she was talking about. Um, and there was this great misunderstanding of who we were and, and just through conversation, she was asking questions. So I was like, I'm happy to answer. Um, but you could tell that there was this closing off. There was this walling up, this checking out because she misunderstood who we were, what we stood for. And therefore, there was no opening for her to, her to actually receive anything that maybe God wanted to show her in that moment, that God wanted to speak to her about. Um, unbeliever, as far as I know, no, definitely she was. We had that conversation. Um, and so God could have spoken to, in, to her in that moment. But because of the great misunderstanding of who she thought I was and what I stood for and where I came from, there was no opening at all. And I don't know about you but and the conversations that you have with your unbelieving friends or family, but I find that this is one of the greatest issues that comes up for me. Just this misunderstanding of, oh, you're a Christian, you follow that God, that means this, this and this. We are a misunderstood people and, and for me, it feels very unfair. I don't know about you, but that actually leaves me very angry. I actually came away quite angered. I was like, no, she has no idea. And she didn't even let me explain. 
But that's the thing. That's just the world we live in now. We are a misunderstood minority. But you know what? What is amazing is that God always has something in His Word for us to go to in any situation we find ourselves in. You know, there, there was a misunderstood minority in the Word, and the group of people are found in 1 Peter. So Peter, an apostle, he was talking to this, these churches um, in the province of Asia and just some er- some places around there, sorry. Um, And he was basically uh, coming to encourage them, writing to encourage them because what was going on was that they were being misunderstood and therefore they were being persecuted. Now for us, maybe our persecution looks like, uh, I don't want to be friends with you or I'm not going to invite you to my party or, you know, just things like that. Maybe it's more segregated, labeled, things like that. It's persecution, definitely. But here, what was happening was that Christians were being killed, Christians were being tortured, Christians, this was severe persecution that they were um, enduring and going through. And so Peter writes to them and says, look, I know you're being misunderstood, but it's okay because there's still hope. Now, the kinds of misunderstandings that they were experiencing um, which is quite funny, actually. They, because Christianity was so new, people weren't used to how they lived their life and the different um, labels and language that they would use. So um, what was happening was that people were looking in on this group of Christians who um, they thought were cannibals. Why? Because Christians come and they drink the blood and eat the body of this man named Jesus. So these unbelievers were looking in on the Christians and being like, you guys are weird. I do not want to become a cannibal, so I'm not going to be a part of your group. And then they would have these gatherings called love feasts. Now already, that's weird, isn't it? That's just, that just sounds weird. But love feasts would be the equivalent of our lift groups, which Josh promoted. We've just changed the name. Aren't you glad for that? You can invite your friend. Come to my lift group. You don't have to say love feast. Um, but people were looking in on these lift groups and these love feasts and and thinking, I don't want to be a part of that because in their mind it went to weird sexual connotations. Strange, right? And so they were looking in on this group, completely misunderstanding what they stood for, who they were gathering under in Jesus' name. And they were just judging and saying, well, look, you know what? That puts a boundary between you and me because I'm not going to drink a man's blood and I'm not going to attend your love feasts. So there were misunderstandings here. And for you and I, Thank goodness we've changed our language, but there are still going to be misunderstandings, people with those preconceived ideas. But you know what? Peter says to the church, he encourages them about who they are. It says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, But you are a chosen people. You're a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You belong to God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And he goes on to say, so this is how you act 
even under persecution, this is who you are and therefore this is how you act. He says, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles, meaning that your real home is heaven, but yes, you're here temporarily. He says, foreigners and exiles, to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. You see, Peter had this problem with these Christians. They were being discouraged. They were being persecuted. And there was this desire, there was this temptation for them to actually leave what they had inherited in God because it was getting too difficult. They were going to leave that and settle for the old way of life again. But Peter's coming in to say, no, don't do that. Don't do that. Understand who you are, that God came and He chose you. God chose you in your sinfulness. And He's talking to Gentiles here. So He's actually saying, you weren't the original people. But what happened in Jesus was that He took Jew and Gentile, basically Jew and anyone who wasn't Jewish, and He made you into one family, that all of you may come, be in Christ and have relationship with me. So Peter is encouraging them. Remember who you belong to. You belong to God. And I think just for us this morning, when we begin to forget who we belong to, that's when our witness, that's when our ability to actually be accurate evangelists for God, that starts to be watered down. But it's when we actually remember that we can continue to witness while being misunderstood. John 17.6 puts it this way. I've manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours and you gave them to me and they have kept your word. What's John saying here? John, what John was trying to say was that these people were given God's name. And in order for them to continue being witnesses in this pagan society amongst people who didn't know God, was that they didn't just take the name, but they would be obedient to God as well. They would belong to Him. They would keep His word, not just His name. And it reminded me of my marriage vows. It reminds me of how when we get married, that we don't just take our... Woman, if you're, you know, if you're a woman, you don't just take your husband's name, but you actually belong to them now. And it's kind of funny because we actually wrote this in our wedding vows. I won't tell you all of it because it's just not, you know, it's between me and Nate. Um, but <laughs> there's there's a part where it says, "I will always be yours, and you will always be mine." Through whatever we go through, you will always be mine. I will always be yours. And the thing is, when we begin to divorce ourselves from being God's, but just having his name, that's when our witness starts to get a bit dangerous, actually. When we do that, what we end up with is, is with deism, this worldview of deism. What deism basically is, is that we believe that there is a God, but he's not involved with our lives. So for many Christians, I believe, we actually live like this sometimes where I call myself a Christian, but I don't belong to him. I don't live as if I belong to him. I'm not walking and obeying. I'm not living in this vow that I've actually entered into with God. And it gets extremely, extremely dangerous because we inaccurately represent Jesus to our world. And I, I know 
there were probably many factors to what I saw in that film by CPX. But I believe that this was one of them, that people who were in power, who led the charge, who did great evils in the name of God, this is where they went wrong. They took on God's name, but they didn't act in accordance with a person who belongs to God. And it led to incredibly dangerous things. And like I mentioned, we live with that consequence today where when we say the name of Jesus or who God is, people have these completely ridiculous and inaccurate pictures of who he is, that he is a violent God, that he is a God who doesn't love, that he is a God who's all for killing and stealing and destroying But that's actually, in fact, our enemy. And what Christianity is all about is that we take on God's name and we belong to him and we live in accordance with that. And the thing is, how we live in accordance is that we reciprocate to God. So he came, he showed us his love, and what do we do? We reciprocate that love. In Matthew 22, verse 37, I don't know if it's up on the screen, but I'll read it to you now. It talks about this greatest commandment that we are called to. It says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. So what does this mean? It means that in order for us to love God is that we follow through not just in our actions, but we follow through in our thinking. We think on God. We think on His Word. We think of things that are good and pleasing and noble. We think of how we can serve each other, how we can love one another. So we think and then then we act as well. Our thinking precedes our actions. And so we can act and we can love God back as He has loved us. And the amazing thing is that when we love God, when we have our devotion set on loving God and meditating on His Word and, um, and just serving Him and worshipping Him, singing songs of praise to Him, what happens is, is that that naturally flows through our life in love for others. And that's what our whole witness is about, loving people in the name of God. Because it says this again in that verse, This is the first and greatest commandment. It was to love God. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So what's amazing is that when we take God's name, when we obey his word, when we live with a desire, with the greatest desire, our number one desire to love God, then the flow on effect is that we will naturally love people and that our witness will be the most accurate it could ever be. But the cool thing is that God doesn't, he doesn't need us to be perfect in this. None of us are perfect. And so what he actually instructs us is that even in our actions, in our living, in our witness, to be humble. Because humility, what that helps us to do is to make mistakes and it allows us to grow as well. But the thing is, pride doesn't. Pride says that I need to be right all the time. I can't make mistakes. And in the Word, it says that God draws close to those who are humble He actually embraces them. He draws them close. But prideful people, he doesn't. He pushes them away. He, um, what's the word? He 
it's gone. But he pushes them away. And I believe that people are the same. When we walk in humility in our witness, not thinking that we know everything or feeling like we have to know everything, God actually opens up a way because people are attracted to that. They're attracted to humility. They're not um, attracted to somebody who thinks they know everything and comes across as if they know everything. And again, this is what helps our witness, this walking in humility. You know, um, one day when I was in high school, um, I just went into the bathroom in between classes and a couple of girls came in and one was really upset, one was crying and and the other one was trying to console her but then the siren went and so she was like, okay, I I just got to go and and so the other friend was just left there crying um, on the bench and so I just went over to her and sat with her and I was like, hey, what's what's going on here if you want to chat and she talked and I was just there, just listened, just encouraged her where I could. Nothing profound at all, really. Don't even think I quoted scripture. Um, But it was just being there for her. And at the end of it, she said, Beck, I don't understand. Like, I, I go through these things in life and I feel like it's such a big drama and and my friends, they're great, but, um, you know, sometimes they're not actually as great as I need them to be. You know, they don't actually act as my friends sometimes. But you have this way about you where you are kind of always happy. There's always something that, you know, you're hopeful about. And there's always um, something that you can encourage people about. How do you live like this? And, you know, I just responded to it and I just said, I just want to be like Jesus. Jesus is actually the real MVP here. He's the one that goes before us and models how to love people and how to serve people, how to encourage them when they're down. And so I'm just trying to be like him. And and we kind of left the conversation at that. You know, um, I was reading uh, John Piper and um, he says this cool thing, or encourages this cool thing for Christians to have, to have this one catchphrase that allows... um, you to introduce Jesus into the conversation. And his is, that's what I love about Jesus. And then he'll go on and talk about that. But I thought, hey, that's actually really cool. That's something that can help our witness when we're actually in tune with God and we can be aware that he actually wants to speak to a person, that we actually say, slip in something here and there just to say, look, Jesus is here and he actually loves you. And for me, uh, that's something I've held on to, just the fact that I just want to be like Jesus. And, and so it introduces Christ into the conversation as the person who actually loves and cares so much more than I ever could. And so that's what Peter was encouraging the disciples to do, that no matter the persecution, no matter how much you're misunderstood, and, and he was empathizing with them greatly that they were very much misunderstood. But no matter what, through our conduct, through our lives, the way that we first worship God and turn our attention to him and, and, and walk as if we belong to God, that we actually change our thinking to believe that we belong to God, and follow suit in our actions and, and live like we belong to God. When we do that, it'll naturally flow into our service to people, that they'd be able to see the love of God through our actions. And he says to be ready with a response. 
to actually weave Christ into our conversations. That was his encouragement. And, you know, um, I'll just get the band up, actually, to help me out. There were a few, um, I think a couple over the last couple of months, but a few moments where I was sitting with some of you and, and just hearing your testimonies of how because you belong to God, you act a certain way. I was sitting with one couple and the guy was sharing with us that in his workplace, this was a previous workplace, that there were some things that were, that were going on that just weren't above board. And what his bosses, what his managers were asking him to do was to follow suit, was to, you know, cut corners here, do a few things here um, and just to help out the company. But he had this realisation that, well, actually, I'm a Christian and I belong to Christ. And so, no, sorry, I'm not going to do those things. I'm not going to cut those corners because I want to represent Christ well here at the workplace. And I love that he was so bold and courageous to do that. There was another girl recently who I caught up with and, and I was really actually quite interested. This time, this took me aback as well as inspired me. But I was sitting with her and she was talking about um, how she'd grown up in the church and she'd gone to Bible college and she had all of this background and that she was dating an unbeliever. And so immediately I was like, oh, that's, that's really interesting. Tell me, you know, how that sits with you in light of what God says in his word. And she couldn't really tell me, couldn't really give me an answer, but she told a story of a friend who had um, gotten married to, who, who, you know, entered into this relationship with an unbeliever, got married, and, and she called it, she said she was called to it. And um, there was something in that that just didn't sit right with me. Because as a chosen people called by God, set apart, there are things that we do and there are things that we don't do. And so it aggravated me, it didn't sit well with me, but she kind of used the story as of her friend to kind of justify what she was doing. And then it was about a month later that I caught up with her and, and just to, you know, see how she was going and she wanted to ask some questions and things like that. And I just asked her, hey, how's this situation going with your boyfriend? And she said, well, actually, about two weeks ago, I broke up with him. I was like, Wow. All you needed was that little reminder of who you are, that you are chosen by God, that you are royalty, that you are holy, that you are set apart for amazing things that God has destined for you. All you needed was a reminder of who you are to get that area of your life in alignment with the Word of God. And so I applauded her. I was like, hey, that's actually that's amazing. I love that you're open to God, you're open to Jesus, and you allowed him to come and bring that part in alignment with him. And so this morning, what I wanted to do was to encourage us that we belong to God. I wanted to remind you that no matter what situation you're facing right now, in your witnessing of who Jesus is, that you belong to God that there is a place, there is a heavenly father that you belong to. And so no matter how difficult, we actually have the grace of God helping us in that sphere. And the second thing that I wanted to encourage you and maybe challenge you in 
is that what are those areas in your life that are not accurately representing Christ? Because I believe this morning that God wants to come and fill you afresh and put his grace upon you again to be able to change, come into alignment with his word and to be a more effective witness for him. And so I'll just get you to stand to your feet. The band's going to sing one song. And what I want you to do in this time is to open your hearts to God and ask him, God, what's that area? What's that area that I need your grace in that isn't quite yet glorifying you? And if I were to put this area of my life on a lampstand, God, would it bring glory to you? Would it shine for you, Jesus? What are those areas in your life? Maybe it's one, maybe it's a few, but you've got to know that God's grace is powerful enough to help you overcome in that area. And so what I want to do is I want to pray over you and then the band, if you can lead us, it'd be great. Thank you, God. Father, we open our hearts to you this morning. Father, that includes myself. God, what do you want to do in our hearts today? And God, I thank you so much that you've called us to yourself, that we belong to you. God, you've called us your own, that we are a chosen people. We are your special possession. And so God, I declare that truth over your people this morning. Lord, I pray that that truth would go down deep. Lord, helping in all areas that it needs to help in. God, I thank you for that truth and I declare it right now. And so God, as your chosen people, come and do a work in our heart. Come and speak to us, Holy Spirit. Come and convict us of those areas. Holy Spirit, we make room for you to speak right now. We thank you, God. Thank you for tuning in today. If you would like to find out more about Lyft, check out our website at theliftchurch.com.au.